So um, if you were here last week, you already know that we're uh, kind of in the middle of a sermon series. Uh, in fact, we're in the middle of uh, talking about disciple building. And uh, so, so last week, George talked about worship and uh, worship as, especially worship as an encounter with the living God. And so uh, this week, uh, this week we're, guys, I'm changing it. You don't have to change it back. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we had our wires crossed. Uh, so this week, uh, I'm talking about connecting. Um, and the next couple of weeks, we've, we're going to continue in this sermon series. But really, it's all about disciple building, about how, uh, how to grow in our relationship with Christ, how to grow into who we were meant to be, how to grow to be more like Christ. And so all of these things are the pieces that we're talking about. And uh, so as I said last week, George talked about worship as uh, mainly as an encounter with the living God. And uh, George had a great sermon title. Vanessa and I agreed on that. It was uh, worship, but the subtitle was uh, Close Encounters of a Holy Kind. Is that right? So... Uh, so I was kind of, I got a little bit uh, competitive when I was thinking of my sermon title. So I was like, I have to have a movie title now. Like, this is what we're doing. <laughs> and uh, so I decided that uh, for Connect, my subtitle would be uh, Stand By Me. And uh, I was thinking about, so I, was, I, I got to thinking about that movie. You know, Stand By Me is a movie from like 1986. And it's about uh, these four young men who... Uh, they, they hear that, that someone's been killed and they're like kind of with their, uh, I guess, a little bit of sick curiosity. They go, well, let's, well, let's go and check out this, this scene of the crime or, or let's go check out this body and see, see what we're going to see. But in the process, they, they, they learn a lot about each other and they learn a, a lot about themselves. And that's the movie, but it's actually, when I was thinking about this title, uh, Stand By Me is actually based on a short story by Stephen King, uh, and it's called The Body. And so, um, I don't know, you may know this about me, and you may not, but now you will. Uh, I really like Stephen King. I like his books. And uh, so, if you're taking notes, you can write this down along with, uh, like, is our associate pastor okay? <laughs> I really, but I really like that. I like uh, spooky movies, too. And I think that Part of it, there's lots of things, like I like to be a little scared, but part of why I like spooky movies is because there's kind of a, an almost a comforting reliability to it, okay? And I'll explain what I mean. So when the group of very young, attractive victims, all right, are gathered in the haunted house or in the forest or wherever they are, um, it's very, it's very predictable. You know exactly what's going to happen. What are these people going to do right away? They're going to split up every time. They're going to split up and the enemy is going to pick them off one by one. And you know that it's coming. So you get to yell at them. No, don't split up. That's stupid because we can feel so much smarter than them, right? It's, it feels kind of good. Like I would never, ever do that. I would never be so dumb as to do that to isolate myself so that the enemy could pick us off one by one. We're just so much more sophisticated and so much smarter than that, right? Maybe. So I think that I was, 
12 or 13, when I remember the first time I felt what I know now to be, uh, I would call despair or maybe hopelessness. Uh, I remember I was alone in my room and I remember feeling like there was just nothing. There was just nothing for me. There was no hope. There was nothing good. And I remember how alone I felt. And I remember how the, the good news just seemed to fade into the background. And I've had that feeling since then. I've experienced that in the years since then. And uh, a couple of things strike me. First of all is how very young I was the first time I remember that happening. Um, and also how every time that I've felt despair since, every time, I've either been alone or I've felt like I was alone. You know, one of the first things uh, in the Old Testament when God creates the world and then creates Adam, the human, what, what God decides is God says, it's not good for the human to be alone. And so he makes Adam a companion. He makes Eve right away. There's a thing about solitude that makes us vulnerable that is dangerous, and I'm not talking about solitude when you need to get away and refresh. I'm talking about disconnect. I'm talking about isolation. You know, one of the worst, uh, one of the worst kinds of punishment that we actually have in our justice system is solitary confinement, and largely because if if someone's really violent or or incendiary, uh, and they're already in prison, we almost don't know what to do, so we just kind of throw them in a, in a box all alone. Uh, but uh, psychological experts and judges and every, every professional agrees that this is actually uh, extremely dangerous. It's actually extremely harmful. In a 2001 case, one judge said solitary confinement units are virtual incubators of psychoses, seeding illness in otherwise healthy inmates and exacerbating illness in those already suffering from mental infirmities. Being isolated, disconnected is so dangerous. And we tend to think of what we need, the things that we need like food, shelter, water, uh, we think of, of we think of those needs, and then we we kind of put companionship on on uh, kind of on something that's nice to have. It's really good to have. It's it's a want, but it's not like food or water or shelter. But uh, I was talking to George this week, and he brought up uh, Robinson Crusoe, uh, that book, and and how it kind of ignited the people's imagination of what would I do if I were stranded on an island? How would I survive? How would I get the things that I need, like food and water and shelter, those things that I need? And that's how we romanticize it. But the fact is, if we are completely alone and disconnected, we're not getting what we need. That connection, that love between one another is absolutely basic level every bit as important as food and water and shelter. 
And so I think that it is, uh, it is so dangerous to be disconnected. And so I'm going to talk about a couple of ways that, that we're very tempted to disconnect. And I know that I've, I've kind of harped on these before, but I'm going to do it again uh, because they're just so uh, pervasive in our society. Uh, the first way that we disconnect is social media. Um, and this one's really sneaky because we feel like we're connecting. And actually, it's a great way to connect with people. Like, um, I send pictures of the grandkids to my folks, and, and you can stay in touch with school friends and people that you wouldn't normally stay in touch with. But here's how it's also a way to disconnect. I know several of you are uh, Facebook friends with me, and so you'll know that my favorite thing to post is uh, pictures, usually pictures of my family, pictures of my kids. And uh, again, folks love to see it, and the grandparents especially love to see it. But let me explain the process to you behind the scenes, OK? So if the kids and I are sitting around and doing something that I think is particularly cute, then uh, I'll take a picture, or sometimes I'll take a selfie of all of us. And I'll take several, because it's, it's uh, you know, I, I can see all of the pictures right away. I can say, I, you're laughing. I can see, here's the process. I can see the seven or eight pictures that I take of all of us, okay? And kids are wiggly, and so I have to, I have to weed those ones out where they're out of the frame. And, but I where we all look the most pictured, where we all look the happiest, where we all look the most content, and where we all look photogenic, all right? And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Josiah, and I'm sorry to my kids. Uh, if we all look great in one picture, that's fantastic. But if only one of us can look great, it's going to be me. All right? So, so I, narrow down, I narrow down in this process to the best picture that I took to encapsulate this perfect family moment where we're just so happy. And that's what I put out there. That's what I put out there. And that's why social media can be so sneaky because it's so tempting to feel like we're connecting, but really just put up this wall, put on this mask, and put, ourselves, put the best possible version of ourselves out there to compare to everyone else who is also putting the best, best looking possible versions of themselves out there. And so we feel like we're connecting, but it's not nourishing. It's like, it's like taking diet pills, and we feel full, but there's no nourishment in it. But in the case of disconnect, we're desperate for connection. We're desperate for love. We're desperate for each other. So it's like taking diet pills when you're already starving. Another way that we disconnect, and I know I've talked about this before, but another way we disconnect is uh, political division. And so I can't possibly uh, overstate this. In the, in the case of political division, how much more disconnected could you be than most of us feel like fully half of our fellow citizens are out to destroy us? That's, that feels lonely, doesn't it? That's scary, isn't it? And disconnection, isolation, making us feel alone, and then moving on to making us feel hopeless. I think that that's the enemy's favorite way to work. 
and the enemy is very good at what he does. I keep coming back to the image of myself, of that 12-year-old alone in her room, feeling despair for the first time. And here's, here's the really sad part, here's the curious part. My parents were in the next room. My parents, who if they knew I was lonely, if they knew I was sad, would have crawled over broken glass to get to me, would have stopped at nothing to hold me and make me feel loved. And so disconnect, disconnection, and isolation are so dangerous. So, let me show you a different vision, all right? What's the good news? What's the good news? If there's no good news, then we should have just slept in this morning, right? <laughs> so, today's passage from Colossians, as I know that, I know you're all taking fastidious notes every week, and I know that, that you're aware that we just did this passage just a few weeks ago. Um, George preached on Colossians 3. Uh, but I brought this up again because this, because this passage is personal to me. A few years ago, I did a small group Bible study. It was called Apprentice. And that Bible study, uh, it, it really changed my life. And so Paul in Colossians, um, so Colossians was our, it was our uh, memory verse for all of the weeks that we were together, we, we talked about this verse and, and memorized and worked through it together. And so Paul in Colossians, in this scripture that was read, he's listing all of these things, like uh, clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility, and it's very typically Paul. It feels like a checklist of really things to do. Okay, here's a checklist of how to, how to really be perfect and do great things. Before this part of the passage, uh, there's a list of things you shouldn't do. You don't have strife and gossip and don't use bad words and don't hurt each other and, and all of these things. So, Paul, as someone who uh, I have a tendency to get into my head and want facts and information first and foremost, Paul doesn't help me. He gets me more into my head. So I'm like, what's this? Okay, here's a checklist. Here's how to not be bad. And then today's passage, here's how to be good. Here's the whole checklist fall in, be perfect, do all of these things well. But this, this apprentice group, okay, when I think about it, it, it gets me out of my head right away because I don't remember really, sorry, I don't remember what uh, the lessons were. I don't remember what the facts were that I learned in that group. Uh, what I remember is that the people in the group and the leader of the group we're all so trustworthy and vulnerable that it changed my heart. That I felt, I felt connected in, and, and not in a counterfeit way, but in a way that I could be honest about who I was. I could be honest about how I was hurting, what I was going through. And I don't know if the people in that group know this, but I'm sure they weren't looking at this passage as a checklist, but they were doing all of these things with compassion and kindness and singing together and loving each other. They fit this to a T. They clothed themselves in this. 
And all they did was show up and be trustworthy and be vulnerable. And it changed my life. So I, um, I got something the other day in one, of my kid, in one of my kids' backpacks. So this is, this is homework. Uh, this is my son's homework. He's supposed to do it, okay? Um, and so what that means, uh, it's, it's, I'm not going to do it. He's going to do it. So all I have to do to fill out his little family tree, um, all I have to do is nag him to get it done and also tell him every single name and how to spell it because he doesn't know these people's Christian names. It's, but it's his homework. He's supposed to do it. But I was thinking about this family tree thing and uh, how the body of Christ, how we're like a family. And we may have thought about this before, like who brought you to the faith and maybe they're like spiritual parents to you and then who brought them to the faith and it's kind of like a family tree. But I think that in the body of Christ, there's, it's, also like, it's also like a real family because there are sisters and brothers and aunts and uncles and cousins and each one of us, maybe if, you, maybe if you don't even bring someone to faith in Christ, you are in their family. The people sitting in the pew next to you or the people in your small group or your connect group, they have an opportunity to be like family to you. And I think it's human nature that we want... Um, when it comes to God and when it comes to faith, we want miracles. We want big, flashy acts. We want these healings. We want sky riding. Uh, but I said that the enemy's favorite way to work is isolation. Um, l- let's talk about what God's favorite way to work is. So when God saw that the world was in really bad shape and he needed to make a covenant and show a new way forward with a family. What did he do? He used a person. He called Abraham. When there was war and when his people were on the verge of being eliminated, what did he do? He used a person. He called Deborah. When his people needed a vision of what real family, real love, real devotion are like, He didn't do skywriting. He used a person. He used Ruth. When the people needed a hero, he didn't wipe out the... And ultimately, in his great master plan, when everyone was waiting for him to just blast all of the enemy and and fix everything and make everything right with the snap of his fingers, what did God do? He became God with us. He became human. We underestimate humans so much. Humans are God's favorite way to work. There are these small bursts, even in Scripture, where God uses these big flashy miracles and then all throughout and culminating in his master plan. God uses humans. God never underestimates us. He gives us to each other to love each other and to walk with each other. 
And so what can we do? What should we do going forward, knowing the danger of disconnect and knowing how important and life-giving it is to love and connect? I think the first thing to do is if you have a chance to connect and be vulnerable with people who are trustworthy, take it. If you have a chance to be in that kind of community, take it. Second, if you have a chance to offer connection to somebody else, take it. If you see someone who's a guest in church and you're kind of debating, should I invite them to Sunday school? Should I reach out? Should I? Ab absolutely. You're not offering a creature comfort to this person. You're offering something as important as food and water. And find or undervalue humans. God never ever does. Don't wait for a miracle when if you look around, we're surrounded by miracles.